The sermon lesson this morning is taken from Hebrews chapter 10, and I'm going to read verses 19 through 25. Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 19 through 25. Listen, my friends, that by faith you may hear God's word for you this morning. It reads like this, Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, and here's where it gets serious, let us approach with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Friends, God always blesses the reading and the hearing of the word. Thanks be to God for that strong word. Well, it's Super Bowl Sunday, one of the high holy days of the Christian year. (laughs) Those 30-second commercials average 3.8 million today. That's a lot of money. Why? Because this is the largest television audience there is. What is the second largest television audience? I can't believe you people can't answer that question. The Academy Awards, of course. And today, 110 million, some say 111 million people will watch this ball game. But what's unique about the Super Bowl is that people watch the commercials. And that's why they're so expensive. People pay attention. A lot of creativity, a lot of imagination goes into those commercials. What bowled me over was I tried to find the cheapest ticket possible to get in to the dome in New Orleans. What do you think the cheapest ticket cost? $1,800. Wow! That bowled me over. There's a linebacker for the Baltimore Ravens named Ray Lewis. What is his number? See, you don't know the books of the Bible, but you know that. He's number 52, that's right. He's on his way to the Hall of Fame, I'm sure. He's an amazing player, a tough guy. And he always wears a t-shirt under his uniform with Psalm 91 on it. He claims to be a Christian. The quarterback for the 49ers also claims to be a Christian. He has tattooed on his arm Psalm 27.3. What I like about Ray Lewis is he loves to bowl over running backs, quarterbacks, and receivers. And when the ball is snapped, Ray Lewis has some amazing things happen. His pupils dilate. His eyes narrow. There's a chemical reaction in his body and the blood begins to flow to his heart. Everything begins to happen within his body in just a matter of split seconds. Sugar rushes to his body. And he is enabled to have an amazing, alert sense of what's happening. He reads the situation very, very quickly. He is an amazing guy. The psalmist said it for us. 
You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you know what it says in Ephesians 2.10? We are his workmanship. In other words, God created us. Isn't that amazing? You look around, you go, mm, not so sure. <laughs> but God in his grace created us. We are his workmanship. When I was studying at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland, Bertrand Russell was the superstar. Bertrand Russell was the academic quiz kid. He was the intellectual that everybody loved. Bertrand Russell did not profess faith in Christ. He was agnostic, or at least uh, agnostic, probably an atheist. But Bertrand Russell, whenever he spoke at Edinburgh, the lecture halls would be packed. He had a huge following. And Russell used to turn to the people in the audience and he'd say, you are an accidental collocation of atoms. Well, I think that's an insult. You are an accidental collocation of atoms. I don't think so. I think you were made in the image of God. The Bible says you are his workmanship. You are here on purpose for a redemptive purpose. And the idea is that you are wired for a relationship with God. Alienation, estrangement, guilt, shame, and sin characterize all of us. We know that. We understand that. Alienation, estrangement, guilt, shame, and sin was not an invention of some theologians to make us miserable or despondent. Sin is really a paralyzing toxin. It's a paralyzing toxin that deters us from the very best that God has for us. And Christ came on the cross of Calvary to destroy that paralyzing toxin that would deter us from that which is truly positive and redemptive. Sin helps us realize that we simply fall short of the standard God has for us. We somehow miss the mark that God has set for us. But Christ came. Christ came to take care of that membrane that separates us from him. And that separation took place on the cross of Calvary. I'm so glad you have such a strong symbol in this place of worship. The cross of Christ. What a reminder of God's grace for all of us. It's really a symbol of reconciliation. It's a symbol of reconciliation between alienation and redemption. And that, my friends, is a message we dare not ignore. Well, Mary was in her early 30s when she was diagnosed with breast cancer. She had a husband and uh, two young children, a five-year-old and a three-year-old. Mary received all the treatment that MD Anderson Hospital could give to her, but the cancer continued to spread. I'll never forget leaving her home one evening and standing outside and I leaned on the roof of my car and I said, Lord, this just isn't fair. And I must confess, my anger was real. And then I was asked to do her funeral. And I'm going to tell you it was a fight for me to do that. Because I felt it was so unfair that these children, a three-year-old and a five-year-old, were left now without a mommy. Yes, they had a good daddy but they were going to miss that mommy. After the funeral, several days later, I was coming to my office, got off an elevator on the third floor, was walking down the hall, 
and this little three-year-old from Mary came running towards me and leaped into my arms and hugged me and said, you helped my mommy. I tell you what, she came with no anxiety, no hesitation. She came without any fear. She just said, you helped my mom. You couldn't pay me enough to take that away from me. And in essence, that's what God wants from us. To take the leap of faith into the arms of the Savior and know the embrace of God's love. We know that in Jesus Christ. The scripture says that his blood was shed to cleanse us of our sins. And it's not just past tense, it is ongoing. Christ is our mediator. Christ is our high priest. Christ is our Savior. Christ is our Lord. That, my friends, is worth celebrating. Well, you say, Dave, how did all of that come about? Well, I have to take you to Jerusalem. You have to go to Jerusalem. And if you go to Jerusalem, you stand up there in the Mount of Olives, and you look out across the city of Jerusalem, and there are several things that catch your attention right away. One is the wall around the city. A second is the Dome of the Rock, the Gold Dome of the Rock. All the pictures of Jerusalem have the Gold Dome of the Rock in it. It's a center for Islam today, but back then it was the place where the temple was built. Now there was a temple built many years before in Jerusalem and it was destroyed. There was a second temple built in Jerusalem and it was destroyed. The third temple that was built in Jerusalem was built by Herod the Great. Parts of that are still visible. But the temple that was built by Herod the Great had some interesting parts to it. It had a court for women. And then there was a court for Gentiles. Then there was a court for priests. And then there was the sanctuary. And over here was the Holy of Holies. It was covered by a veil, or we would call it a curtain, 60 feet high. A beautiful piece that separated the common folks from what was considered the presence of God. The Holy of Holies represented the presence of God. The only person that could go into the Holy of Holies was the high priest. And the high priest would go in once a year to the Holy of Holies and make a sacrifice to God on behalf of the sins of the people. What they never knew was whether God would accept it or reject it. And if it was rejection, the high priest would be smitten dead. So what did they do? These folks sold bells on the hem of the robe of the high priest so that when he went in there they could hear him moving around but if the bells quit ringing they knew the offering, the offering had gone wrong in addition to that they tied a rope to the ankle of the high priest so that if he went into that holy of holies and God didn't accept it and God uh, killed the old boy they could at least haul him out because if you went in there you were going to get killed now that's the setting. And when it talks about the curtain, you have to remember some of this. And the Holy of Holies is a, is a real powerful image to us. Because when Christ died on the cross, the veil, that 60-foot veil, was cut in two, sliced wide open so that we had access to the presence of God. Jesus Christ provided that access for us. No more impediments no more sacrifices, no more intermediaries, no more cowering before God. We are accepted, we are welcomed into the presence of God. 
Linda and I were in a gift shop in Telluride, Colorado. Uh, I was there out of obligation. Not my favorite thing to do. But she had tolerated me being off skiing, and so I went to the gift shop. While we wandered around this very nice gift shop, I saw a wonderful sign. It simply said, Unattended children will be given an espresso and a free kitten. I love that. Unattended children will be given an espresso and a free kitten. Wow, that was neat. And you know what? That was not a veiled threat. That was a real threat. And let me read to you what it says in verse 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who has promised is faithful. We're done with threats. God says, he who has promised all these things to us, his grace, his forgiveness, his hope, his mercy, he who has promised all these things to us is faithful. Listen, friends, I know we all have ogres. We all have demons. We all have those things that dance in the cellars of our brains. But I want you to know God's grace is always greater than our need. Guilt, of course, is when you simply violate your own personal values. Shame is when you violate society's values. Are we flawed human beings? Of course we are. And even if we profess faith in Christ, we still continue to sin. But the good news is the intermediary is there for us. Christ is at the right hand of God pleading our case. And that's worthy of celebration. Do we ever get out of alignment with God's will? All the time. All the time. But in His mercy invites us back into right relationship. That's why your prayers are so important. That's why your confessions are so important. That's why your acts of forgiveness are so important. In Jesus Christ, God invites us to wholeness integrated wholeness. God invites us to be the same people in public that we are in private and vice versa. God invites us to share our faith so that people in bondage, people that are hurting, people that are restless or apathetic can, it, can find something on which to build a mooring. God's grace in Jesus Christ makes our self-knowledge bearable. That is a great statement. God's grace in Jesus Christ makes our self-knowledge bearable. You ought to print that up and hang it from the mirror of your Mustang. God's grace in Jesus Christ makes our self-love bearable. Jim Collins is probably the leading management guru of the day. Jim Collins has written six books. He's sold 10,000, 10, I'm sorry, 10 million books. He's been extremely successful. His most common book is Good to Great. Many of you have read it. The idea is to take good businesses and make them great businesses. And Collins has just been uh, an amazing read. He says, you know, how do you prevail when the world is spinning out of control? How do you prevail when the world is spinning out of control? He says, turbulence is the new normal. Turbulence is the new normal. 
But this is my all-time favorite quote from Collins. Here it is. If you have more than three priorities, you don't have any. How about that? If you have more than three priorities, you don't have any. Let me ask you a serious question. On your list of priorities, where does your faithfulness to Jesus Christ come? If you have more than three priorities, he says, you don't have any. Collins is a fascinating guy. He's a rock climber. He's done El Capitan. He's been all over the world. And he talks about moorings. You have to have some moorings in life. And of course, verse 23 says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Well, how do you do that? You have to tighten your hold on the faith. It's not a matter of being passive about your faith in Christ or your spirituality, your maturity in Christ. You have to do something about it. And that's why, for example, we have these small groups through Lent. It's not a matter of just getting people together. It's not just another program. It's an opportunity for personal maturity in the Christian faith. In addition to that, it's a reminder that God keeps His promises. It's also a reminder that we are commissioned not to success, but to faithfulness. Not to success, but to faithfulness. You well know that climbers who get on the mountain, if they panic, they're going to die on the mountain. Climbers know that you either go up or down. I guess you could go sideways, but usually you go up or you go down. And somebody that panics on the mountain can simply hang there and get clobbered by rocks or weather, fear, or fatigue. And so you have to make a choice. And Colin says, remember, you can always go down and start over. That's pretty good theology. When you are down, you need to remember that you can start over by God's grace in Jesus Christ. Grace is God's unconditional love for those who don't deserve it. A friend of mine named Lou, when he was just a kid, about 12 years of age, he and his buddies got together and they decided they were going to smoke. They were going to smoke cigarettes. So, 12 years old, he and his buddies get together. Somebody gets a pack of cigarettes, they get some matches, and they head out to a park and they hide out behind some bushes and they're going to smoke. All of them for the very first time. So they light them up. It isn't long till Lou discovers he's dizzy. And then he realizes he's really sick. So Lou says, I'm going home. And he goes home. And of course, what he wants to do is slip by his mother and get up to his room and go to his bed. But guess what? As soon as Lou walked in the door, his mother's standing right there. Interception. And she says... You look a little sick. He wasn't just sick, he was gray. And she said, uh, you've been smoking. And she went on to say, boys that smoke and get sick need some ice cream to calm their stomachs. She gave him grace when he expected grief. Friends, that's what God extends to us. Not grief, but grace. Grace is God's unconditional love for those who don't deserve it. You know what it says for me when I look at that cross? In big bold letters across the top, I imagine the word accepted. 
I am accepted with all my cerebral weaknesses. I am accepted with my roaring vices and purring virtues. I am accepted in spite of all of my intellectual deficiencies. I am accepted in spite of my immorality. That's the point of the cross of Calvary. It's his acceptance that is so important. My grace is sufficient for you, it says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. We know what weakness is all about. My grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. Several years ago, Hemingway was challenged to write a short story in six words. How many words? Six. Now, can you imagine writing a short story in six words? Well, that's what he was charged to do. So Hemingway took it up, and he wrote this. For sale, baby shoes, never worn. Is that a short story? Your imagination goes wild with that. For sale, baby shoes, never worn. Ever since, people have been trying to write their life story in six words. A marriage group on a Friday night decided they were going to write about their lives in just six words. And some very interesting results came out of that. Here are just a couple. My mother warned me about him. Six words. Wasn't born a redhead. Fix that. Six words. She should have married the TV. Six words. And there are many, many others, but some of my favorites is, My ex ended up on Oprah. I should have read the prenup. Six words. And my favorite. Became my mother, please shoot me. Six words. Well, a seminary professor heard about that six-word thing, and so as the students came into his class, he surprised them by handing a cocktail napkin to every one of them. And so as each student walked in, they got a cocktail napkin, and they took their seats, and of course they're all going, well, what's with this? And the prof said, I, I have a little uh, opportunity for you today. He said, I want you to write in six words a summary of the Bible on that cocktail napkin. And he said, I'm going to give you five minutes to do it. And I have a gift card from Starbucks for the winner. And I am the sole judge. I will determine who is the winner. So how do you write a summary of the Bible in six words? Anyway, that was the assignment he gave to them. And of course, they're all anxious to get a Starbucks card. So they started to work. Now, some of them just sat there and daydreamed. Some of them scribbled all kinds of stuff, and they struggled. But at the end of five minutes, he said, I want the cocktail napkins back. So they brought the cocktail napkins up to him, and he started to go through them. Some he threw aside, some he threw in the trash can, and he determined a winner. And the winner's cocktail napkin simply said, I love you, don't be stupid. 
Now that's a pretty good summary of the Bible. I love you, don't be stupid. The Word of God says, My grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. That you can trust. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, your grace is beyond our comprehension. We simply gather together to celebrate it. Help us to live in your grace. Help us to be cognizant of your grace. Help us to be practitioners of your grace. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name, amen.